I think people have a new realization that financial security in America is actually quite precarious. The values of the money we use every day are the values fixed by the government. We absolutely see our mission in terms of providing real security, but we also know that part of the benefit that we provide is a sense of peace of mind. Security protected American life and property. There's so much more to safety than just infection control. The risk of infection by direct transfer is great with droplets sprayed from the mouth. I'm Erin Shea. And I'm Shannon Murphy. This is Invisible Forces, an original podcast from Jeffries. On this show, we're investigating the unseen forces that drive our spending, our saving, and our global economy. Things like customization, localization, and inclusion. We're asking, in the next five years, how will we be living? Where will we be living? What will we be buying? And why? And today... How are we keeping those things and ourselves safe? Today's invisible force is fortification. American psychologist Abraham Maslow identified a hierarchy of needs in the 1940s. The idea is that if humans don't have their basic needs met, things like food, sleep, and shelter, we can't even begin to think about our psychological and social needs, like our relationships, self-esteem, or professional ambition. And one of the most basic needs on the Maslow Pyramid is safety. But that need for safety and security is also a major driver of consumer behavior. For many in the Western world, safety is something that we've generally taken for granted. So major world events like 9-11 or the 2008 financial crisis can really shake our sense of safety. And we react sometimes in extreme ways. How we're feeling and thinking about the world has changed this year in response to covid We're staying behind closed doors, building walls, wearing masks, and are hyper alert to unseen dangers. That's fortification. On today's episode, we're going to dive into a variety of ways this force of fortification is making itself known in industries and markets around the world. It's especially hard at work in the midst of this year's global pandemic, when almost everyone's personal sense of safety has been shaken to its core. And that sense of safety starts at home. Security is more than anything a psychological need. It's this longing for peace of mind. That's Christian Serta. He's the CEO of the home security company Simply Safe. Home security is a $53 billion market and growing fast. It's expected to grow to almost $80 billion in the next five years. So when COVID started, I think that there was a generic sense of uncertainty surge of new coronavirus cases in the United States, spikes of new cases. And the way that all of us, we all of us, we try to deal with uncertainty is, is trying to get control, more control where we can. The pandemic has shaken up everyone's sense of safety and given many people new things to worry about and be afraid of. So the natural response is to try to take control of the things that you can control. We know in general, right, that people get triggered to install and buy a home security system after they have gone through a life change event. Personal life events like moving or having a child. But what about a global pandemic? You can also scale it up and take it to a society level. When there is a big shock, right, that sends a reminder 
of the need for security across the whole population, we see a surge in the need for home security services. So it makes sense home security is an industry that tends to do well in times of uncertainty and bad news. And when we look at the home security industry in historical events, we know that when 9-11 hit, the industry was very resilient. When the economy has been through recessions, the industry has been very resilient. All of these events that remind the consumer of their need to be safe are usually strong triggers of demand for us. And COVID is no different. And even though our year-to-date growth is around 50% year-on-year, lately we are hitting 70-100% of increased demand. So we can see our invisible force of fortification at work as people invest more in home security. But that's not the only place where our sense of safety has been shaken. The pandemic has also brought many Americans' fears about financial security to the forefront. COVID has created a sense of economic uncertainty we haven't seen since the global financial crisis. But this time, there's one crucial difference. First and foremost, I think the difference between this crisis and the last financial crisis is that we forced consumers to immediately stop a great proportion of their discretionary spending. That's Dominic Lester, the European head of investment banking at Jefferies. We heard from him in the last episode, and he also spoke with me about how COVID is affecting people's spending and saving habits. So I think your average consumer will be looking at their credit card bill during the lockdown and saying, you know, I'm spending a quarter of what I've spent in the past, and do I really need to spend as much money as I have? Uh, Does it really bring me that much more pleasure and happiness? You know, when you go through that thinking... I do think consumers between, you know, learning that they don't need to spend as much money as they did uh, by being forced not to spend money uh, during the lockdown and, um, you know, and having to think about, you know, retirement and savings are going to, you know, there's going to be a big emphasis on increased savings. So I do think there's going to be a shift in the mindset away from sort of consumption fueled by credit to, you know, to increase savings. And Dominic thinks this instinct to save, to fortify our finances, is going to last for a while. After all, we still have scars from the global financial crisis, when Americans lost 2.6 million jobs and nearly $10 trillion of wealth was wiped out. I do think that the general sense of security and optimism, you know, has been shattered now a few times. There isn't a lot of job security. I think consumers in the United States will become, you know, more frugal again. And Dominic Lester isn't the only person looking out for how that move towards fortification is having an impact on various industries. For many people, the COVID lockdown was an opportunity to assess their day-to-day habits, especially their financial habits. We have seen a huge uptick in demand, and our business is actually stronger than it was in March because every American is sitting at home wondering what the heck to do with their finances, right? Because of the macroeconomic situation. And second, they actually have time to explore this stuff. That's Thomas Smythe. He's the founder and CEO of Trim, a financial health platform. Last spring, Forbes reported a 20% user increase of budgeting apps category-wide since the pandemic started. Trim was founded in 2015. 
It's a platform that uses AI to find its user savings on bills. It also helps identify unnecessary spending. I think people have a new realization that financial security in America is actually quite precarious. So I think you've got a lot of Americans who went to the brink and kind of looked over and went, wow, you know, I have a lot less job security and a lot less financial security and a lot less in my savings account or retirement account than I had hoped and than I need. Thomas says that in a typical year, January is the biggest month for financial health apps like Trim, which makes sense since people are often trying to start new habits at the beginning of a new year. But the pandemic has changed things. And I think we're seeing kind of every month since the pandemic has begun, looks like January because people, you know, make a new resolution. Hey, now's the time. Thomas's app is designed to help individuals with their personal finances. But he acknowledges that true financial security is a systemic social issue. My hope, of course, is that there's more pressure on the folks at the top who are generating you know, a huge, huge, huge amount of wealth in the past five months. That there's more pressure on those folks from the government and from the folks at the bottom to figure out what to do with our structural income inequality in this country. But the good news, he says, is that our invisible force of fortification might actually be getting to some of the people who can do something to help. I was on the phone with one of our investors the other day, and he's definitely a free market capitalist kind of guy, right? And he was talking to me about this. And so I think there is a growing sense that either the federal government or the private sector needs to step up and figure out what to do about economic precarity in America. And because it's the defining problem of our age, I think. So we've seen our invisible force of fortification at work at home and in our wallets. And the way we're keeping both safe these days is by going digital. In fact, we're living in an era where people are often more concerned about locking their phones than locking their front doors. According to a report, in 2019, financial apps, which include budgeting apps like Trim or online banking apps, were opened more than a trillion times. We access our money online, we invest our money online, and we want to know that it's safe, that our online bank accounts won't get hacked. And when so many people made the switch to working from home, thousands of companies and organizations had to beef up their digital cloud security overnight. Workers needed to access everything remotely and without the risk of a cyber attack. Which means fortification has become the most important force in the realm of online and digital security. In fact, by 2021, cybersecurity is going to be a $1 trillion industry. About five years ago, we started seeing very severe attacks against organizations. And as a result, companies started to pay more attention to cybersecurity and it grabbed people's attention because it became a everyday news event. In my opinion, the organizations have paid a lot more attention in the past five years. That's Ramin Safai. He's the chief information security officer here at Jefferies. He's the one who's made sure that we could go from a main office and some satellites to more than 3,000 individual home offices as we and our colleagues started working from home. And unfortunately, he says, the past few months have seen an increase in opportunistic hacking attempts. 
In the past few months, we've noticed that there has been a 60% increase in the volume of the phishing and malware that comes to the users. My first recommendation is do not trust the email that you receive. Always call the vendor directly. For example, I received this email yesterday from PayPal, and I use PayPal all the time. And the email looked extremely legitimate. It had all the right logos, all the right information. In fact, it had the right phone number for PayPal, but it was not legitimate. It was pretending that I am overdue on some of my payments and the fact that I should immediately log in. So be very careful with these attacks. They're very simple, and yet they're very effective. But as hackers get more creative, the people defending our digital security have to as well. And their work is becoming more and more important and valuable. And Ramin is excited about the future of cybersecurity, which aims to make it as easy as possible to stay safe online. This is crucial as our digital lives and our analog lives become more and more intertwined. We don't just go online anymore. We're always online, even when we're out walking around. But instead of forgetting to lock our doors and windows, we're at risk of people draining our bank accounts or stalking our children or stealing info from our cloud workplaces. And one of the areas that we see as exciting is the development around automation of user verification and a passwordless environment. If I ask you right now, what is the one thing that you hate about security? Probably your answer is user ID passwords, you know. You have to memorize those passwords. Eight character minimum, you know, sometimes 15 character minimum, and they need to be complex. So we are hoping that we can really look into this and by using a new generation of products, overcome this password management. But while our homes, our computers, and our bank accounts are feeling this reinvigorated need for fortification, almost no space has been as affected during this pandemic as the healthcare industry. While parts of the industry push forward on making us masks and finding a vaccine, more and more people are needing to access healthcare and needing to feel safe in those places. That's true whether it's COVID or some other health issue that takes them there. I have to say, with respect to COVID and the pandemic, it's really come to light how much the built environment and spatial design can impact health. That's Diana Anderson. She calls herself a architect, meaning she has a medical degree and is a licensed architect. She combines those fields to specialize in healthcare design. And she says that since the pandemic, people are thinking about safety and healthcare design in a whole new way. Well, healthcare design in general for hospitals, let's say, has really focused on public areas. Uh, Front-facing public areas have become much more open. You walk into a hospital or clinic, there's larger waiting rooms, public areas, trying to draw people in, integrate hospitals and healthcare facilities with the community. I think that that trend will probably change and we're already finding our clients coming to us and saying, you know, we, we can't obviously have these open environments. Not only does it pose a risk, but I think people feel unsafe going into these spaces, knowing what we know about SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19. So I think that trend will definitely start to change and we'll probably see less open space and much more sort of segregated space, or at least spaces that can be very flexible in terms of the front-facing aspects of the building. What looks safe and feels welcoming has certainly changed since the pandemic began. Designers now need to think about infection control, sanitation, and distance in every healthcare space. 
I think, you know, feeling physically safe is definitely one aspect, but also feeling mentally, but also socially safe and probably socially safe in the context of COVID is really relevant, right? Because it has to do with proximity to people and it's becoming harder to, to obviously congregate and to meet with people. So how do you feel socially safe, but still maintain that connection? And so one challenge I think architects are facing, and so is everyone in healthcare, is what makes a space safe in healthcare, but at what cost? And so for an example, uh, you know, it's obviously safe if someone has an infection to put them in their room and shut the door, right? And to isolate them, so to speak. But that comes at a very great cost in terms of quality of life and social interaction, which we know can have detrimental health effects. So as designers pivot to make spaces safe, physically and mentally, they have to be creative. Some of the changes that have made hospitals safer are pretty simple retrofits. So for an example, in New York City, when it was really the epicenter a few months ago, my critical care colleagues said, you know, in the ICUs, all of the doors are generally glass. So that, you know, visibility in a critical care environment is important. We have to be able to see patients because they can deteriorate or decompensate very fast. But on an acute care floor, the doors are generally solid. You know, you could close your patient room door and not see anything. Well, in New York, they were finding they had to be able to see patients. They were just so critically ill in all spaces. So they were actually coming up with a saw and cutting vision panels into the solid door. And so, you know, now we're talking about should all doors in hospitals have vision capability? This is a moment of huge change, as our idea of healthcare security is shifting before our eyes. Diana sees this as a chance to reimagine the fundamentals of what healthcare looks like. We've imagined the intensive care unit of the future. You know, the, wrote an article a few years ago of what does the ICU in 2050 look like? So we actually envisioned a critical care capsule where patients could be in a capsule. We probably wouldn't need to intubate them. We devise some kind of breathing helmet, which would be a lot less invasive, or sensors on the skin where we would assess blood levels without actually having to poke with a needle. Um, it's, you know, it's a little far-fetched, but it's maybe not that far off. And interestingly, when we looked at the image we sketched out of patients lined up in capsules, we suddenly realized, you know, what does this remind us of? And, you know, it really looked like the iron lung, which we had a number of decades ago, right? And people, you have pictures of people lined up in a gymnasium with all these iron lungs. You know, drawing from history is really important, too. We're learning from the tuberculosis sanatorium from the 1920s. We're still taking lessons from those designs. Just as those historical images of people in iron lungs echo through history and are reflected in more modern designs, so our need for safety reverberates through the decades as well. The basic human need for safety is not going away, which means our invisible force of fortification may be the most enduring one that's shaping the way we live, work, and spend. And security comes down to more than just our personal needs. Ultimately, fortification is the force that determines how societies operate, and we shouldn't underestimate how much the pandemic has affected our sense of security. Here's Jeffrey's European head of investment banking, Dominic Lester, again. COVID has sort of shaken a little bit of the foundations of the economy and the American dream. If I look at the U.S., I think it, it has shaken through the foundations of the sense of strength and security that people have, particularly in the United States in that, one, it's exposed the fact that consumers haven't created adequate savings for their retirement. Two, that from a healthcare perspective, the country isn't prepared to tackle these crises. From an organizational standpoint, doesn't have the safety net 
for individuals who can't, you know, who, who are dependent on basically employment for health insurance to deal with with these health issues when they arise. So I think all these things are coming together, and COVID has been kind of, in, in some way, the spark that's ignited this crisis and confidence that individuals have in the system, and which I think will lead to, you know, people taking all kinds of measures to increase their job security, their financial security, you know, the dependence on technology as well. Like Dominic says, COVID has brought so many primal concerns, like health, financial, and digital security, back to the fore. But with that shakeup comes opportunity as well. Creative innovations and conscientious policy can hopefully pave the way to a safer and more secure future for everyone, physically, financially, and health-wise too. But I do think that there's a lot of opportunity in some of these other areas that ultimately are very positive. So net-net, I actually think in a way COVID is is a trigger for some good long-term trends. And also, you know, the, to me, reducing this consumer mentality from, you know, this sort of excessive consumption mentality is, is a good thing, you know, and you needed kind of a bit of a crisis to get people to change their habits. Although we're definitely witnessing a period of enormous change, ultimately, Dominic thinks this trend towards fortification may be a positive thing. I do think when I look at that younger generation, because that's also always defines how the world evolved a little bit, I think they have a totally different mindset. They're much more about sharing. It's not just sharing resources to reduce costs. It's just the concept of being more egalitarian. And they see the mistakes that you know the previous generation has made. And I think, again, COVID has forced people to think about things more seriously. You know, and it's also created enough of a crisis that's shaken people out of their complacency. So I'm actually very optimistic for the future. Very optimistic. I'm Shannon Murphy. And I'm Erin Shea. You've been listening to Invisible Forces, an original podcast from Jeffries. Next week, we wrap up our second season with an episode about what will probably be the most important and defining invisible force of this generation when it comes to how we live, work, and treat each other. Don't miss our season two finale, All About Inclusion. Important information and additional disclaimers are available at jeffries.com. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or a recommendation from any Jeffries entity to the audience. It's not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any security or investment. This podcast is being provided strictly for informational purposes only. Any opinion or estimates constitute our best judgment as of the date of the podcast and are subject to change without notice. The information upon which this podcast is based was obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but has not been independently verified and should not be relied upon as an accurate representation of future events. No responsibility is accepted and no representation, undertaking, or warranty is made or given, in either case expressly or impliedly, by Jeffries as to the accuracy, reliability, or completeness of the information contained herein, or as to the reasonableness of any assumptions on which any of the same is based. Any views or opinions expressed herein are solely those of the individuals identified. Accordingly, neither Jeffries nor any of its officers, directors, employees, or representatives will be liable for any direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person resulting from the use of the information contained herein, or for any opinions expressed by any such person, or any errors, omissions, or misstatements made by any of them. 
Jeffries is not an advisor as to legal, tax, accounting, or regulatory matters in any jurisdiction and is not providing advice related to such matters. Listeners of this podcast should take their own independent advice with respect to matters discussed.